to Probably Science. Uh, I'm Matt Kirshen. I'm sat next to Andy Wood. Yeah, it's cozy in here. It is cozy. We're indoors. It's late at night. It's cold outside. And we skipped a week. Well, I'm sorry about that, everyone. But Thanksgiving happened and this job got on top of us. Yeah. And we're allowed, I think we're allowed that. It's a holiday. I, I hope so. That. I hope so. But I know people... I know what it's like with my podcast when I... The, the other ones that I listen to. And sometimes oh, okay, you yeah. go to the feed and you're looking forward to the new episode dropping and it's not there. So I'm sorry. But I, I hope you'll forgive us. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's the holidays. It is the holidays. <laughs> I was going to say the same thing. We're still, we should both apologize because we're, we're both still a little bit hungover from Thanksgiving. I think. I'm at the peak of my abilities. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I've never felt finer. It was uh, a fun Thanksgiving. It was one of the more fun ones I've had in town. Uh, thanks to you letting me tag along to, uh, some of your friends' activities. Got to play some pinball, watch some Back to the Future trilogy. We did. Had some good chats, including some with some people who might be on the show at a later date. Yeah, yeah. Some good science talk. But I should introduce our our guest. This is someone, I think, is this, no, this is like the second or third guest that we've had on that's come from a chance Burning Man encounter. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's true. And actually, the Thanksgiving crew we were with last night was... That is also a chance Burning Man encounter. So our guest was someone who, there was one day, it was... It was a crazy dust storm day. It was the wor- the worst conditions slash best slash most challenging. Whatever it was, it was a big it whiteout. Was the epitome of Burning Man. It was a very windy, very dusty day, and some a lot of people took shelter. And I decided to go. F- I wrapped up and decided to go for a bike around. And in the middle of this dust storm, I pretty much like practically ran into someone who just had a huge bucket of Bloody Marys. <laughs> And then it turns out she's awesome. Uh, so our guest uh, and my chance encounter friend is computer security researcher Yan Shu. How's it going? It's great. It's uh, it's great to be here in front of a fire in LA. I have to admit, I've never seen a fireplace in Southern California. Well, um, it, it, yeah, it doesn't get much use, <laughs> but uh, when it when it gets this cold, because for the listeners out there who aren't from this area, it's. We get crazy ranges of temperature. Like, no, you don't. You, I'm considering gonna, like, it's Southern between California. Between 50 and 75. You know, but people think it's always nice here. And it was 45 the other day, and then it was 85 last week. That's a pretty wide range okay, within the same yeah. week. I'll but, give you uh, that. But, but yeah, it's, it's not like a Chicago yeah. where it no, 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 no. has a 100 plus degree range. That's true. That's true. The hottest of the hot is still pretty hot in the Midwest. Uh, I'm just saying, considering people think of it as this place that's always nice, like it sometimes does uh, surprise you. But this also, this we've discussed this house before. This this was in its prime in the 60s or 70s. That's Even that might be late. Maybe it was even like a 40s, 50s prime. Um, I feel like this... That fireplace is born witness to some weird happenings. Oh, yeah. As has that pool. Like I'm, as we've said, I'm sure someone has died in that pool in the backyard. Uh, oh, almost certainly. And the hot tub that's doesn't, that hasn't worked in 20 years. <laughs> and as our landlord said, this was a big communist meeting place during the, the, the oh, Hollywood communists. I can tell. Back in the McCarthy era. <laughs> and supposedly Marilyn Monroe hung out here sometimes. Like He says he has a picture of her in the pool, which I'll believe when I see it. But, uh, but then again, that, it might not. It's totally possible. It's totally possible because there's been some other stories about this house that have then proven to be right, yeah. including after that Tony Hawk thing came became true and was proven just by me finding paperwork in the garage. I was like, oh, okay, anything could be true yeah, about this. The house. skateboarder Tony Hawk, when oh, he was a teenager, his mum dated someone who lived here. Was the it? Land, I think our landlord dated 
Tony Hawk's mom. So oh he my was God. Here a lot That's in his big. teens. And that sticker on the sliding glass door, there's a sticker from a 1986 skate tournament. That yeah, you found like, skate you found thing. one of his first, I think a retainer from a law firm. Yeah, yeah. His first entertainment <laughs> law firm. So that's true. So then maybe the Maya Angelou stuff's true. Maybe Marilyn Monroe. Who knows? Wow. I feel blessed yeah. to be here. <laughs> and now you. And now Jan. Hi. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So you, I, I know you've done work for all sorts of big uh, computer companies and internet companies, but also you do private security stuff and you also do work with the Electronic Frontier Foundation. All of those are true. All of those. Yeah. So, <laughs> None of those are false. This is okay. So this is going to be one. Whenever we have scientists or engineers or tech, techie people on here, normally it's a world that one of us has at least some grasp on. I know <laughs> almost nothing about computer security mm. stuff other than just change your password from time to time and don't make <laughs> your password be password. Is there something else that you could be doing? Oh gosh! Uh, or is that it? Do, is that you, do you have an iPhone? I do have an iPhone. Do you? Uh, you do you lock it? I do lock it. Okay, great. We're like eighty <laughs> percent of the way there. <laughs> um, how much? How much would you get paid for that advice on the job? Is that like probably like five bucks? Five bucks. Okay. <laughs> I don't okay. know. Maybe I'm underselling myself. Um, Should spike up the rates. What What is it you do for the EFF? Um, so I used to be a full time employee there, and I wrote software for people to um, secure their browsing, like. The tour project i have a sticker on my phone for them we i definitely want to talk about this because this is again a whole thing that i know mm. nothing about yeah and i did some other projects like privacy badger which is an ad blocker and https everywhere which helps encrypt your web traffic and uh so is this something that's a firefox extension right oh it's actually firefox and chrome and opera okay yeah and if you have if you have it running what does it do okay so um there's two kinds of websites there's http and https and https is when you see that little green lock in your url bar in your browser uh-huh. and that means it's secure right and so you you want to see that every time you put in your banking information or put in a password or something and like what that. is it actually physically doing that is different to a normal http thing mm-hmm. in what way is it secure it's uh so if you're using https your web traffic is encrypted which means that someone who's sniffing your traffic cannot read it. Um, is it what degree of an, like how how many bits are we talking? Or is that even a thing that oh, is a metric yeah, for encryption anymore? Yeah, of uh, I, I yeah, it's kind of misleading. I think the man, this is going to get kind of technical. No, let's yeah. let like, our but listeners I, love it when we get uh, dig into stuff. So yeah, yeah. So uh, if you're using HTTPS, a good standard is to shoot for 128 bits of um, encryption mm-hmm. using a symmetric encryption cipher, yeah. and that and that's because uh, aren't there some levels that are uh, the government won't even allow you to have because it's too encrypted because they want to have the option of being able to crack it or how yeah does that work? yeah so there used to be um, there used in the nineties there used to be restrictions on um, encryption levels for um, software that was exported I believe mm-hmm. and it was set at a about fifty six bits I might be misremembering those numbers because I was like a tiny child back then and the idea um, was that the government would still have the ability to crack that if they had to for investigations or something uh, or presumably yeah. yeah so that's not the case anymore yeah. so you can totally be legally uh at a level of security that nobody can crack unless they had like infinite computing time <laughs> or something 
Uh, we believe that's true. Yeah, so we believe like 128 <laughs> bits is pretty pretty darn good. Unless, uh, I guess even if you have a quantum computer, it would only like reduce that by a factor of two. But yeah, that's just to the best of our knowledge. Obviously, like people can implement algorithms in a way such that there's a backdoor or there's an easy way to crack them. Mm-hmm. So we don't know. This is just like, all like a theoretical level. Is the 128 bits that doesn't refer to the size of the like the primes that are the keys yeah right? so that's different so um so for what you're thinking of is rsa uh-huh. which is um inc- which is an encryption algorithm based on factoring um based that, on prime factorization and that's based on the idea that it's very easy for a computer to multiply two numbers together but it's very very exactly. hard to break that in uh, break a large number into those two factors exactly so you yeah. can give someone the public key because one way is very easy, so you can give someone that public key, yeah. but you can't go backwards. <laughs> you said you didn't know anything about security, but that's actually pretty, uh, that pretty bit advanced. Of it. Yeah. That, that very tenuous, my math degree, that was the one, that's the one aspect that I do have a vague idea of. But then it's application and it's usage, I have no idea, and I have no idea what's going on at the back end of it. <laughs> and you said that it's not, that's not even what's being used anymore? or No, so, so there's two separate... Um, so that that is what's being used for authentication. Mm-hmm. So basically, when you um, when you set up an, a, con- a connection to an HTTP website, the website has to prove to you that it's you know Google.com or whatever, mm-hmm. and that uses RSA. Usually uses RSA for authentication. But once that's so that that kind of bootstraps a level of a, a type of encryption you mm-hmm. can use to share what's called a symmetric key. And the symmetric key is what actually encrypts the traffic. So we, we use both um, RSA, which is asymmetric cryptography, and symmetric cryptography in HTTPS. Um, and the RSA primes, like those, usually you want those to be at least 2048 bits for HTTPS, 2048. Oh, wow. Wait. Yeah. <laughs> Hold on a second. That, that refers to the size of the key or of the prime used to make the key i'm in the weeds already on this i forgot yeah <laughs> i don't think it's really relevant but yeah that's the, yeah. That's the key but size. then once you have that established then the security it's being used is some is yeah so so basically it would be too too inefficient to just use that for um for all encryption so mm-hmm. once you set up this rs this rsa um once you've done this rsa handshake you generate a temporary random key random symmetric key to use to encrypt the rest of the session mm-hmm. traffic so it's just the performance and uh, HTTP, https everywhere is a way of ensuring that even if the site you're accessing doesn't force it to be secure you make it secure that's what? right yeah so a lot of sites support https but they don't automatically redirect you to https and you can connect to them over http if you type in http mm-hmm. so https everywhere is like well, why would you want to do that if the site supports HTTPS? So th- it's a browser extension that just automatically rewrites your URLs to HTTPS. So whenever you're on a website that has the option of both, it'll always make sure it defaults to the HTTPS. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So just kind of just doubling back. So what you were saying when it was HTTPS, so it uses RSA, this prime number asymmetric um, method to verify that that is who it says it is. But then once it's verified it, it uses a different and more basic form of cryptography um or a more roughly yeah roughly a more maybe more efficient form of cryptography yeah, yeah. okay 
So but for, but for normal users, the whole like RSA versus um, symmetric cryptography part is is pretty irrelevant. Like no one ever, yeah. very few people ever care about that unless they're setting up a server and like right. really want to make sure their crypto is up to good standards. How much stuff can you, <laughs> say you're using a website and it's not connecting to HTTPS and someone like yourself who maybe had more malicious intent <laughs> were within your vicinity like how much information can you get off someone's computer and how much stuff can you get if you're not on https oh uh yes yes so usually at this point i could just demo it for you but i wasn't prepared so you could um so say that i'm i'm uh so you have a very lovely home and say that i came in and i was like give me your wi-fi password i have to check in for my flight tomorrow and so you give me your wi-fi password and now i'm on the same wi-fi network that all your computers are on Uh so if you're using http on those computers i can see anything that you're sending right like I can see your emails, your passwords, your not even having to run any kind of crazy uh, software to to de. To, it's just out there. The bitstream is not at all encoded. It's not. It's not encoded once I'm. It's not encrypted once I'm on your Wi-Fi network. Yeah. Um, huh. I have to run. I have to do some like, tricks on my computer to get your computers to send their traffic to me before sending it to your router. But I don't have to touch your computers. And there's yeah. no setting we could have. Uh, besides doing HTTPS, nothing else that's running on our computers would, by default, protect us from you seeing. Oh, that. Um, you know, you could use you could use a VPN. Um, oh, okay. that would help because that's then, a virtual private network. Oh, virtual private network. That's right. So then you would have an encrypted connection from your computer to your VPN gateway. Yeah. So how much could you fuck things up if you drove by someone's house and saw that they had uh, an un. Uh, just an open Wi-Fi, or even if you were network. just in a cafe, in just in a cafe or a restaurant yeah, where at a there's Starbucks or something, where everyone's on the same Wi-Fi network. What's the worst thing you could do to somebody if you're just parked in front of their house and you're on their Wi-Fi network? Like, yeah, could you destroy their <laughs> digital life? Could you? You could you could do pretty much a lot of damage. Luckily, it's it's actually getting harder because more sites are switching to HTTPS by default. Yeah, like back in like ten years ago, you could easily get passwords um, just by going on someone's network. Now it's it's harder. You can maybe get passwords from like a, a few years ago, Quora didn't have HTTPS for passwords, so mm-hmm. you could get someone's Quora password, and maybe they would reuse that on their bank website, and then you could log in as them. Um, yeah. yeah, I think. Uh, gosh, what's what else is bad? So I think OkCupid doesn't support HTTPS by default, <laughs> so you can see someone's like uh, private dating messages. Nice. That kind of surprises me because that's a website <laughs> that's run by really nerdy people. Yeah, well, so I, I should say I haven't looked into this in over a year, but I think as of a, a year and a half ago, like EFF asked them about this and they don't support HTTPS for um, regular browsing and for like private messages and all that. Would there be some reason why they wouldn't want to? Is that actually an advantage in some way? Or? <sighs> I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, really, there's, I don't think there's a reason not to mm-hmm. for a site like that. Is HTTP quicker than HTTPS, or is it? So it used to that used to be a popular thought, um, but actually, like HTTPS is getting optimized every every year. Like people are finding ways to do this crypto faster and make their algorithms more efficient. So now it shouldn't really have a noticeable impact on performance. Okay. Like even Netflix is switching to HTTPS, and they have like 60 like i don't know maybe not 60 but like 30 percent of web traffic i've, I've heard America, that but then, right? I, then i thought maybe it was debunked or something because it just seems so crazy that one company could account for that much of all traffic yeah well you have to think it's um 
it's a lot of people watching netflix and uh like movies take up a lot of space yeah, yeah. So it's just a lot of bandwidth that's crazy yeah. it's high definition video <laughs> yeah which they're sending people are just watching it like tv and that's just constant web traffic yeah yeah um yeah so how did you get involved with the EFF? How did they recruit? Was there, uh, first of all, was it mm-hmm. like uh, when Nick Fury comes at the end of the uh, pre-Avengers movies? And... <laughs> I've never seen this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> when they recruited all the Avengers for... Uh... Oh, that sounds awesome. Yeah, anyway. No, that's not how it happened. Uh, I wish. I really wish that happened. But no, it was boring. I was just, so I was actually in grad school for physics, which is actually science, in my opinion. And then I dropped out and just kind of traveled around the world for a year and like didn't really know what to do. And at some point, um, I started volunteering for... I started, like, being re- really interested in Tor. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we should talk about that. So yeah. what is Tor? So Tor is uh, a project to help people browse anonymously on the internet. So most people use Tor through the Tor browser, which is a, Fire, um, a version of Firefox that you can download, and it will use Tor software to anonymously route your traffic when you browse the web so that's is the anonymity is different from encryption though it's yeah so encryption yeah right so when you connect to a site over https that's encrypted but the site knows who you are because they can see your ip address okay okay well they know they know who you are because like maybe you put in your username or whatever but they can always see your ip address Mm -hmm. and that'll give some indication of like where you're located and and who your internet service provider is so Tor helps people hide their IP addresses by, um, imagine that you're going to like google.com through Tor. So usually your computer just goes straight to google.com. Um, but in Tor, you go through these uh, like three other computers, like Tor forms this route mm-hmm. and your traffic bounces from like one computer to another to another. And each of those links is encrypted. And so none of those links knows like, exactly none of those links know both your real ip address and the site you're visiting oh and the site only sees the ip address of the last hop okay but there's no way could you not trace it back from hop to hop well the hops um so if you if you imagine you're you're the first hop Uh you know um the real ip address of the of the user and the next hop Uh but if you're the next hop you know the first hop and the third hop and if you're the, the third hop, you know the second hop and the final website, right? Right. But in none, none of those know, like, all the information, unless the same person controls all three of the... Computers. Is there actually some centrally located, uh, there's some server farm that all the Tor things get, like, some physical place that all these uh, proxies are? Oh, <laughs> so they, they, they all are located somewhere, but the idea is that anyone can run a Tor node. Oh, okay. so so like we we can run a tour node right now in this house and then um we could get our node listed and then people would start routing their routing their traffic through us but you couldn't get mistakenly blamed for something your ip couldn't be uh blamed if like somebody's bit torrenting something at the origin of this and you're a node that it passes through or something um i so there's interesting uh situations around like usually it's not a problem um, there's more risk if you're running an exit node, which is the last hop, the hop that goes to the the final website. So you can you can choose whether you want to run an exit node or whether right, you want to run right, a, a middling relay node. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, because there must be. I, I again, my my understanding is Tor is used a lot by people who want to avoid persecution by governments or journalists right. who want to. 
not be tracked, but also it, I'm sure can be used by people who have less pleasant or... Yeah, yeah, so, like, as the Silk Road shows, the Silk Road was a site um, that was accessible through Tor, where people could buy, um, like, illegal drugs. So that's what and I was going to ask. So that is Silk Road and the Dark Net. Is that the same as Tor? Is that in no, the same No, no. So people often use the... We don't, we don't really like the term the Dark Net because it sounds really insidious. <laughs> it's not very flattering. But the Dark Net, um, people colloquially ref- use it to refer to websites that you can only access through Tor. We should point out, um, by which the way... Are called, which are technically called Tor Hidden Services. Um, okay. Yeah. As and in, that, they wouldn't show up in any search engine algorithms, or what's the reason why they wouldn't be listed in other? Uh, um, they're why? not. They're just not public, publicly routable on the internet. They don't have like traditional IP addresses where you can just type in a domain name and get like routed to an IP address. That's the website. Um, instead, they use. Um, sorry, they use um, like a rendezvous algorithm to. Um, hide their real IP address. So the server is actually hiding their IP address as well. And the client can only find where to connect to the server if they're they're using Tor. Okay. Yeah. And this is why, uh, what's his name, just got sentenced to... Um, Ross Ulbricht. I think so. Is he the main Silk Road guy? He was guy? the first Silk Road And he was just sentenced in the last year or so, right? Is that a different guy? I thought there was a big... um, Yeah, I haven't been following this too closely. But there was like Silk Road and then there was Silk Road 2. And and both were busted. Are there any justifications for for its existence for non... I'm sounding like the government now for non nefarious yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I don't know. I I didn't actually use it. <laughs> yeah, okay. I mean, we should point out as well. Jan is currently. I mean, she's you walked in here wearing a cape and a single black leather glove. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, have you? I have a quick question. Yeah. Have you ever furiously typed at a laptop and then looked up to someone next to you and went, "We're in." <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> Man, when would be the last time I did that? I don't think I've ever done that. I could, I could like construct situations yeah, where I that mean. would be necessary, but I don't think one would occur naturally. Sometimes and you also that. just try a series of like people's pet names, and actually, that is a thing that genuinely happens. Oh, when you try to break into someone's computer, yeah. yeah. So the way this usually works is that there's these giant lists on the internet of common passwords. And there's like millions upon millions of entries. And then there's some very efficient computer programs that you can just download that'll try each of them and, you know, like to figure out someone's password. Mm. So usually, yeah, usually this is hard if you're doing it on a live system because it'll just lock you out after like 10 tries. But if you have a list of like leaked encrypted passwords, you can often just try millions brute and, force. and brute force brute oh because if it. it's an encrypted password and you know the encryption you know the encryption method but you again it's asymmetric you can't go back but you can just try encrypting this list of common passwords and see if they match or so it's yeah i sorry i use the term encryption kind of loosely it's actually called hashing right um it's a one it's an asymmetric or one-way function from a password to some garbled text and so, so usually if you go to a website like your bank, they're supposed to hash your password so they don't just store it in plain text. Because then if their database ever database gets hacked, people right. can read all your passwords. So it never sa- so, so on the bank, it never actually says like Paul McCartney, one, two, three. Right. It's- the bank stores like capital A, lowercase a, dollar sign, one, five. But then blah, blah, when blah. you type in Paul McCartney, one, two, three, it then uses the same 
yep. algorithm to convert it to this hash and That's it compares right. the hashes to see if they match. Yeah, exactly. And that algorithm exactly. somebody else couldn't get their hands on if they had cracked the database? Um, yeah, so it, they, everyone knows the algorithm, but the beauty of it is that it's a one-way function. So oh, well, given okay. the result, you can't easily go back to okay. the plain text. That makes sense. Yeah. So you were saying you were big into Tor, and that's how you... Oh, got yeah, going into, back to yeah, the story. Yeah, we stopped, we wow, sidetracked you. Um, but I want, oh, you know, glad to. welcome. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I started volunteering um, for a project called HTTPS Everywhere, which uh, which is part of the Tor browser. And then EFF eventually was like, we'll, we'll just hire you. <laughs> I guess that's how it started. Um, like a few years ago, I started working for EFF full time. And then... And where are they Where are they based? They're based in San Francisco. Okay. How do they bust the Silk Road? Like, if if it is using all these layers of encryption and all these layers of protection, how did the FBI or whoever it was get to them? Yeah. Oh my gosh. So the details in my head are not particularly clear, but basically, um, I believe in the first Silk Road case, there was um, they were implementing their captchas in a way that leaked their real IP address. So they were using something like Google captchas for captchas. Okay. Um, and then. The FBI noticed that this capture page was like using was from the real IP address of that server. So then, then they found the IP address of the Silk Road, and then they like traced them back from there. I guess. Yeah, okay. wasn't it? And then it was just some guy in a the one who was arrested most recently. I guess yeah, Ross William Wilbrecht must be the one I'm thinking. So of. where should I go now to buy, <laughs> to buy your heroin and hitmen? Heroin, MDMA, and all that. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I I would guess there's some sort of Silk Road three or five. It's got to be some other like. Oh yeah, I'm looking this up. This was the guy who was called Dread Pirate Roberts. That that was what the articles yeah. I read always referred to. And that was his real name. <laughs> yeah. That was his. His mom gave him the name Dread wow. Pirate Roberts. <laughs> well, pirate is after your great uncle. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen? Dread, it's just a great first name. <laughs> Have you seen the movie that Alex Winter from Bill and Ted directed? No. About- <laughs> I forgot that he did a movie about the Silk Road called Deep Web that came out this year. A yeah. documentary or a... Yeah, yeah. Ah, wonder what he was up to. Good work, Bill or Ted, whichever one you are, <laughs> which the, whichever one Keanu Reeves isn't. Yeah, so um, so EFF, is it a non-profit? It is a non-profit. And, Always taking donations if and, uh, anyone I, feels like it. I remember that there was a big to-do within the last couple of years because I'm also involved in the LA Podcast Festival mm. and we had a panel talk with some EFF people about the whole patent trolling thing that was going yeah, on. Yeah, wasn't with... there some sort of podcasting victory that... Yeah, I, I don't know exactly what happened but I think someone was just trying to... Maybe this is a thing people do a lot. It's still going on and patent trolling in general this is something I heard read a big story about patent trolling in general is a problem but essentially the way patent trolling works in general is people buy... You can buy patents like their pro- like their property, which in a sense is kind of fair enough. A company might buy intellectual property from another company and then incorporate it, and mm-hmm. you can trade it. But what they're doing is finding these patents that are so general and vague. And in this case, it was it was something like um, a means of recording audio and disseminating it on a on a mm. frequent basis. It was something that was so generic. And they bought this thing and went, well, this is podcasting. And therefore, <laughs> okay. every podcast in the world owes us a commission. Or So what, what it essentially is, is, you know, you can, buy, you can buy a building that 
you didn't build this building yourself. Someone else built it, but then you can buy it and then you can rent it out to other people. It's entirely fine to own that property that you didn't create and pass it on. But this would be more like writing letters to people who live in a building going, hey, I found some vague evidence that uh, I might own the land that your building is based on. And so you've got to pay me... uh, Fifty thousand. Uh, it's extortion. You, know, you could fight this in court, and you might win. But I've got a lot of resources, and if you lose, it's going to cost you half a million. So why don't you just pay me the fifty thousand and make this whole little problem go away? So yeah, it's a it's a racket. It's crazy. It's a tenuously legal racket, mm. and they're relying on the fact that most people don't have the capital to fight it. Right. And that's I think the kind of thing that the AFF then steps in on. Yep, I, that sounds right. And um, I think I think I it, remember it, this. it's if it's not over, I think it at least is uh, definitely leaning in the direction of the good I guys. It was the over, but it could be completely hallucinating. And I think there were some big names in in podcasting oh. who stepped up and and helped fight it. Like, but he, but even those big names in podcasting, I think part of the thing that happened with the patent trolls is, and I don't know how much it was them just going, uh, we might lose this one. But they were like, ah, I think we're going to drop this one because um, they haven't even got much money anyway. Like they were they were also suing the likes of NBC and CNN because they're putting out uh, effectively podcasts. Right, right. And so they were like, well, we can get money off them. But then they asked, even the biggest podcasts don't actually really have that much money even your sort of mm. Corollas or your Marins which have comparatively right yeah compared they're not they're not multimedia empires they don't have right well a quick googling uh, shows that the EFF were the heroes of the day in April of this year they busted the podcast patent invalidating key claims at patent office Woo-hoo. there's a ruling that invalidates all claims used to threaten podcasters nice excellent so, work, EFF. work EFF yeah. I think one of the things they looked for and one of the th- one of the things they look for in general for these cases is prior existence of the technology Mm. so i think they found examples of someone doing what could come under this description of a podcast this incredibly tenuous description uh they found a couple of examples of someone doing stuff like that that predated yeah the original filing you know david angelo claims to have had the first comedy podcast I didn't know that. Friend of the show, David Angelo. <laughs> David Angelo. On what grounds does he claim this? Uh, it was 2002, and I guess he says that he... I'm saying that... I'm totally throwing him under the bus right now. I'm phrasing this as if he's full of shit, and he, he might not be in, in this <laughs> matter. I don't think that it was technically an RSS feed, um, but it was it was some kind of um, system whereby someone could subscribe to something and get that new content when it came out, and he was doing an, uh, an audio interview show in like 2002 where i guess everyone kind of generally thinks of like 2004 or 5 is when podcasting began or at least became listed in itunes and therefore he, kind he of might have the successful claim then it's he possible. might be the one it's very possible we'll get him back on and talk about it later okay here's something i know just circling back but something i'm confused about okay so i know generally on the internet or on the web when you make a when you request a specific page I know that bounces between servers anyway, mm-hmm. but all as as it bounces between these different servers, getting from your house to uh, CNN.com and back again with the data, mm-hmm. with the information, it sends out little packets that constantly say, this is what we want. It's make that request is attached to that packet and where it needs to come back to. Or, uh, or, or is that not even how it works? Kind of. So, yeah. So there's many, if you're going to CNN.com, there's like, you know, you, you first go to your router and then that might go to an upstream router, like, and then your ISP might have some boxes in there. And then maybe there's like a content delivery network in the way. 
Um, and you're asking if it's encrypted, how well, does it? Well, here was what I was asking. Oh, so with, with Tor, where it's going between these three in-betweeners who don't, if you're one of the, you're one of the, you're the third route or the, the third person in it or the middle person in the chain. So mm-hmm. the middle person in the chain knows neither the origin or the destination. That's right. That, that's the one person who only knows the two other intermediaries on either side. So if you're that middle server, what inf- how do you know where to send the request onto? Oh. And then when it comes back, how do you know where to send the request back to without knowing, without knowing my address or the website that I'm trying to go to? Yeah, so, so the middle server can safely know the address of the previous and the next um, the next in both relays, directions yeah. in both so. directions and so that data is actually in the packet that you're sending okay it's all the packet you like this uh tour is often called onion routing because um the packets are like onions there's like layers upon layers and with every relay they uh decrypt one layer and get the information they need to route it and pass it on and the next relay like decrypts the next layer and then passes it on Okay. So yeah, so it's all like in the packet, but it's encrypted in these three or four layers. Ah, like whereas that. without using Tor, it's got the same request, but it isn't encrypted at any stage. Yeah. Well, so without Tor, it's. I mean, if you're using HTTPS, it's still encrypted, but the the IP address is never encrypted. Right. So without Tor, like the server can just see your IP address. So HTTPS would be almost like sending an envelope but you don't know what's inside you can't open that envelope but you do see the address on the front of that's it that's right and, and tour, tour you don't like, even yeah. see the address tour is like three envelopes inside right. each, each of which only has like one next address so the it. next le- level yeah, you open yeah. that envelope you read the next a, address yep and each one can only open their envelope ah, yeah hence onion clever. routing got it clever yeah that's is that, that's what tour stands for right tour, the, the onion, onion router in fact oh i never knew that yeah <laughs> So how much different is this? And let me just be the idiot here and just ask the dumb layperson questions that I should know the answer to. But um, so cookies are a different beast from anonymity, right? Or are they not? Like, um, so cookies are just pieces of data that can be used to track people. So even when you're using Tor, websites can set cookies. Um, yeah. And if you're not, well... Yeah, so cookies can be set independently of whether you're using Tor or not. Okay. And then how does Tor differ from using just like incognito mode in another browser? Well, so if you use incognito mode, um, your browser clears the cookies so far, or it, it actually creates a, a new fresh set of cookies. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're using Tor, but if you're, sorry, if you're using incognito mode, it does not anonymize your traffic you're still revealing your real IP address to websites. That so it's visit. just starting a new session that it then kills when you kill yeah, that right. window. Yeah, right. It's just a temporary it, session. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. Whereas in Tor, it's a temporary session every time you open it and also an anonymous routing scheme. Hmm. So if, you, if you're if you using uh, Tor mm-hmm. and you're also on something like Facebook, which is notoriously personal data hungry mm. and integrates itself into every other website that you're using so i you know if i'm if i'm logged into facebook on my browser and then i go to say certain news sites mm-hmm. in the comment section underneath it's inviting me to comment as my facebook profile it's somehow still logged in yeah so or like so, ads or ads that show things you were looking on amazon show yeah up and- so is if i'm using tor would that still happen would that still 
be integrated? Or, yeah. Or does it block that in some way? Um, it doesn't. It's not part. It doesn't particularly try to block that. The idea is if you're log, if you're logging, well, you shouldn't log into Facebook using Tor if you want to be anonymous. Basically, if you log into Facebook, then like Facebook knows who you are. They just don't know your IP address anymore. Right. And then if you go to like a site that embeds Facebook, then that site knows who you are. Um, so Tor doesn't try to prevent that sort of attack, but people should um, people should be careful not to like log into Facebook if they're trying to stay anonymous. So do you use Facebook through Tor? Oh, in general, do you? I do use Facebook. And yeah. do you? If you use Facebook, do you keep Facebook in a completely separate environment in a separate browser? Yeah. Or? So I can tell you more about this. Um, the way that my my default browser settings are always to block third party cookies. Okay. Cookie, like third-party cookies are not the only way, but they're the primary way that websites can track who you are through Facebook, because they can see like, and well, Facebook can see like that you're on CNN.com, and Facebook gets more information about like what kind of sites you're visiting. Um, because, because of some kind of partnership between those two companies, where they access the same cookies, or like what's the? Yeah, it's actually a little simpler than that. So say that you own CNN.com, and you're like, I'm going to put a Facebook like button on this page. So when you when the user gets the page with the Facebook like like button, um, they're they they're actually sending a request to Facebook, and Facebook can see that the request is coming from someone on CNN.com. So now Facebook knows your account because you're logged into Facebook, and also that you're visiting CNN.com. Mm-hmm. So as soon as the site like embeds Facebook, then Facebook can theoretically figure out who you are if you're logged in. And if you if you search, if you come to a site via a search engine, does that that site has information about wh- what you search to get to them? Correct, or is that also depending on your settings? And, uh, and- it depends on the search engine. I think they usually do because um, the search engine, like, they'll they'll see what's called a refer, um, which is the link that you came from, mm-hmm. and so that will usually have a. I don't know if it usually has, but that could theoretically have your search query in the URL bar. Um, Is that a thing that concerns you or anybody in the, in the encryption world or in the, I'd say that's more, that's more of a privacy problem. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not an encryption problem. Not encryption. Sorry. I meant privacy. Yeah. Yeah. Does that, or basically are you, are you a pessimist in general about like, what's your big picture take on how much we need to be worried about Mm -hmm. privacy online? Um, I think, I think there are people who like, if you're concerned about websites knowing something about you, like um, the famous example is a journalist tried to hide the fact that she was getting married or pregnant or something from the websites that she was visiting. Um, if you're concerned about hiding something like that, then I think you absolutely have to be really careful. And it's really, really hard for the average person to like take all the necessary measures to prevent that from leaking out to random advertisers and all that. But instead of wondering about what the average person wants, what's your take on, like, are you in general not paranoid, but are you worried about the future about, are you concerned about your own privacy online and about safety of what you're doing or about like the government, you know, like, is everyone at the EFF kind of like slightly conspiratorial minded or is it just people that are like, Hey, we should have the option of having as much security and privacy as we want. Oh, uh, well, those sound like kind of two separate questions. As for like my personal level of paranoia, I'd say it's like definitely higher than average. Uh And I definitely take steps to prevent um, third party tracking when I can. Like I use a 
a tool we built at EFF called Privacy Badger, which um, blocks third-party tracking requests. So what is that? Them. Um, so it uh, so Privacy Badger looks at what third parties your um, what third parties are getting cookies from your browser, uh-huh. and if it detects that a site is getting cookies from you on enough different websites, that's a good signal that the site's trying to track you. And if it's trying to track you, then it just blocks that site entirely um, when you're browsing. So usually the sites that get blocked are like DoubleClick and these really big like advertising domains. And Privacy Badger is available. Is that another browser extension? Yeah, so that's another Firefox, Chrome, Opera browser extension. All right, you've got two things you should download <laughs> yeah. so far. So Privacy yeah. Badger and HTTPS Everywhere. Yeah, they're both good. Um, some people also like MuBlock. I think that's the how you pronounce it, which is another ad blocker that does something like that. And also um, other tools like Disconnect and uh, like Ghostery to some extent also block this kind of third-party tracking. Um, what was the thing... When I saw you last, when you were in L.A., uh, about a month ago, you had just released a a security hole that, or just announced a security yeah. hole that you found and written something. Yeah. And what uh, was it? So in my spare time, um, I also like look for browser security attacks and privacy attacks. Mm-hmm. So I found this attack that you could use to reveal some of the websites a user had visited. So basically, you go to my site, and I tell you, like, what sites you visited and what sites you haven't visited. And it was only, like, 80% accurate, but that was enough to, like, scare some people. And, uh, Wait, how does it work? I'm sorry. I don't so I didn't it. explain how it worked. Uh, it uses... It basically... So when you're, when you're browsing, um, there's all sorts of data that gets stored about the sites you visit that isn't cookies. So mm-hmm. cookies are, like, the most explicit way to track people. But there's also something called HSTS, which is um, a bit of information that says whether the the connection to that site should be encrypted the next time you visit. And so so your browser is actually storing many pieces of data about the sites you visit. And not all, like, and like since those aren't cookies, you don't clear them when you clear your cookies. So the idea was to use um, a timing attack to figure out which sites you'd visited based on these other bits of information. So, so you could, again, it's a site that someone else, you, I could visit the site and then it would spit back to me, hey, I think you've been to all these places. You've been to and these then other I can sites. be like, holy yeah. shit, nothing yeah. is, nothing is and, safe. And it's, so it relied on seeing how long it would take to load up these pages compared to normal. Right, right. Mm. And that kind of attack um, it has been like done before. Someone else did what's called a cache, cache timing attack, which it just looks, which just looks at which pages have been cached in your website um, in your browser history and compares the time so the idea is like if you visited a site before it should load faster because it's been cached okay um, what's this is it is it live right now still or not yeah so that my, my thing is not a cache timing attack but in principle it's very similar and it does the same sort of timing what's what's the url for oh so first i should out? ask you does it um do you have https everywhere enabled i don't okay do you have any ad blockers uh, I have AdBlocker. What's the ABP? I have AdBlocker. Yes, I have AdBlocker Plus. I think is the one. Okay, that might mess up your results a little. Um, do you have an? Uh, are you on Chrome? I'm in Chrome. Okay, so open an incognito window, incognito and then I'll mode. give you the URL. Uh, bear in mind, I might not read back to you everything that it tells me I've been to. But uh, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, should I just type <laughs> it to you? <laughs> no, no. What's the okay. URL? Because our listeners will want to hear it. Okay, also. Yeah. it's Z Y A N 
dot scripts. Uh, That's two P's? No, just one P. <laughs> oh, wait. I thought you were like, oh, like, sorry. Okay. Like scripts, like, like, like not, writing a script. I was thinking uh, scripts, Howard, for some dumb reason. Okay. Sorry, <laughs> like no, the no, spelling bee. No. Yeah. Of course not. Okay. <laughs> dot MIT dot edu slash. Oh, shit. Okay. There was more. The, oh, that went to my blog. So delete the blog part okay. and then slash sniffly, like the way you behave when you have a cold. The way I feel. Okay. If you have a cold right now. <laughs> And it's uh, sites you probably haven't visited is the first thing. And yeah, then, uh, so it'll take a minute depending on how fast you're And on the left-hand it. column is sites you probably have visited. Hmm. I don't know a lot of these. <laughs> Kickstarter? I haven't been to... Is it recently or just in general? In general, like ever. Oh, okay. Ever, ever. Yeah. I don't recognize a lot of these. There's things like Swarmap and... Let's Instapaper. Do. I'm wondering Let's if it's going to suddenly show anything. Oh, really, so uh... so yeah, it's going to take a minute. It's going to oh, okay. have a lot of go. false positives. Um, give it a few seconds. So that's I probably visited. Okay, so now okay. now it's done. Okay, uh, I think I've been to all of these at some point. Uh, no, no DuckDuckGo.com. I don't know what that is. Gumroad.com. I don't know what that is. Yeah, again, so it's just some of its guesses. I'm not trying to like say it doesn't work. I, yeah, so that's why it's only correct like 80 percent of the time. Um, if but you're using Kickstarter, an- USAJobs.gov, I have been to because I was looking up the astronaut uh, applications which are open again. Uh-huh. Gonna, yeah. You're applying to be an astronaut. I mean, there's like there's no age limit, I guess, or it's wow. it's a wide age age limit. Yeah. Uh, yeah, full square. Um, physicsforum.com it probably was something for our job looking up something almost yeah. certainly went there yeah interesting very interesting I think it's the list that I haven't visited is very long yeah Where it's not you- comprehensive um, I got the list of websites by scraping the Alexa top 1 million oh, okay. websites which is a list you can just download from Amazon interesting yeah Alexa is the internet the website ranking yeah site, that's right, right. And you also have a link here to savecrypto.org. Oh, yeah. So I, I launched this uh, this attack demo site around the time that we were trying to get to 100,000 signatures on savecrypto.org. Save Crypto is a petition for Obama to come out and say that he supports strong crypto. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's at over 100,000 now. Well, this is, I mean, this is something that's come back into the news recently because one of... Um, after the Paris attacks, mm. everyone, a lot of people seem to focus on the refugee scare, which is also right. seems to be bullshit in that it now appears to be pretty much none of the people involved in the attack were refugees. But the other thing that's that, getting blamed that, that is... That keeps changing by the day, whether whether some of them did come in with refugees. Like, uh, I'm hearing, are you sure that's what the current thinking is? I believe so. But even, I mean, even still, it's the way the numbers work out, it's a nonsense to say... Right, right, right. Uh, like that's the thing you should be attacking. But that the two different narratives were: it was refugees, and they planned their attack through encrypted communications. And now it turns out that <laughs> probably neither is the case. Yeah. But both of those things are now being attacked in the name of safety and defense. Yeah, it's it's really quite ridiculous. I think um, it's now pretty clear that they there's no evidence they were using encryption. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. And- it seems now that. They were known to the authorities, and they were tracking them. Uh, and they were partly using PlayStations, something like that, yeah, uh, to communicate. But um, interesting, I hadn't heard that. Uh, but the British government, particularly right now, is doing some really shitty stuff with internet security and 
legislation and i keep reading articles by people who are pointing out that uh there is not a single apart from the fact that you i i wouldn't necessarily trust the government organizations and these government agencies to be the only ones who have these back doors and these ways of decrypting but also there's there is literally no way to program a backdoor into some software that only quote the good guys can get hold yeah. of yeah yeah i think that's that's what encryption experts are agreeing on is none of us can think of a way to make a backdoor for the u.s government without also making us vulnerable to like the chinese the russian government you know random hackers etc so i yeah so backdoors i i think backdoors make us all less safe on average and, um, and it's also like it's just there's so many other ways people could be playing if you want to get to the specifics of like an attack like the Paris thing or people could just just decide to do everything offline if that things got to the point that like you can't at a certain point we have to accept there's a risk to living in a relatively free society and that's mm-hmm. just how life is you know and plus if someone wants to die good luck good luck trying to stop somebody who doesn't mind dying you know what I mean <laughs> like a suicide bomber is the scariest thing in the world because they don't fucking like all the rules you assume humans play by where they want to preserve their own life is out the door it's like well then yeah, there's only so much you can do. So don't like ruin everyone else's lives forever and end all security. I think we should, because... no, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't still be suspicious of anyone who doesn't look exactly like us. Oh, of course, if they don't look like <laughs> us, we should be totally suspicious, right? I mean, I, yeah, I, you know, some of them, some of these people, just their accents aren't like <laughs> us, like yours and my accent. You know, you can tell a lot by an accent, Matt. Yeah, that's really all they have to do. Just get some good voice recognition software. Yeah. <laughs> Is this person talking normally or not? Yeah. <laughs> normally. Like, or not. like I don't know why the I don't know why the authorities are even finding it so hard because I can tell just right, by looking. I, can, <laughs> I can just just need to look at them once. I have I can, what my friends refer to as accent dar. I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, really you're very good, good at like that. That is a thing. Sense. Yeah, I've it's known amazing. Andy for a while, and he can he can tell. He can always tell, <laughs> can tell just he, by hearing them talk. He can spot a foreign. Right. <laughs> uh, okay, so getting away from like national security stuff, but just privacy and commerce, I'm curious what you think about what the future could be if everyone decided to crack, to, to, if everyone adopted the same things that y- people like we do, where we put in ad blockers and all these things, and it seems like we're moving into a world where everything is going to be ad revenue based, you know, almost all content is going to be generating money from that. Like, how would that play out if everybody decided yeah. to... That's, that's such an interesting question, and I think we we like no one knows the answer yet. But we we are starting we are starting to see a shift in that the ad industry is getting pissed off at people using ad blockers. Of course, yeah, yeah, like um, random sites. I think like Washington Post and some other big news sites will now show you this um, thing that says, "Please disable your ad blocker if you have an ad blocker installed." Yeah, I've seen some other sites sort of say please consider adding us to the safe list on your ad blocker. Exactly. We can, which is sort of fair enough. I mean, there are certain, it's, there are times that I find adverts intrusive and, and oppressive and offensive. And then there are times where if it's a website that I think is p- providing a genuine service and genuinely good content, and they are funded entirely by advertising and that's how they provide this free service and keep, keep staff. Right. Going, yeah. like, All right. Well, I'll watch an advert if that means that, and there's been plenty of times when I've been on the receiving end of a targeted ad and been excited because I didn't realize this band that I like is coming to town. I would have missed the show yeah. if this ad hadn't popped up. So I'm like, you know. So some ads are good, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's how do you. Yeah. I wonder what the future is going to look like if we all become 
yeah. paranoid of the idea of having any of our data be mined to give us better ad experiences. We, we have at various times been supported by advertising. Well, of course. Yeah. So I mean, I'm not against it all across the board. And, and yeah, like Facebook, I, the most conspiracy minded people uh, don't get like when when people would repost those things about how like I refuse to allow Facebook to use any of my uh, I'm like what do you think and that works right gonna... as a security expert <laughs> like that's do you know those things I'm talking well, about sorry, I, like I'm these sure. memes that would sort of get started where someone thinks if they just post a status update that says I deny the rights for Facebook to use my oh, photograph for I, any yeah what do they think they're gonna do with it their I, top priority I'm pretty is sure that this right yeah. But the like top the Facebook lawyers are there going, oh my God. Oh, no, darn. I can't. I can't believe they posted oh, that. We just Sharon and Justin have just thwarted our <laughs> insidious <laughs> plan. Like, I don't God get damn what they... you. Well, there goes our business model because they have just opted out of what we of what they agreed to when they signed up for Facebook, but they've now opted out by posting, posting something that they thing. copied from someone else's status. Yeah. I mean, I th- my view is like ultimately people, people should 100% have the right to run ad blockers. Like, yeah. You know, if it's your computer, you can do whatever you want with it. You like, you should control what code runs on your computer. And so if you don't want to see ads, just block them. But I also think, yeah, like you said, there's a, you know, ads support a lot of things that we take for granted, like right. this podcast. Um, I would really like to see like viable micropayment systems arise mm-hmm. out of this so like if i if i like your podcast there should be an easy way for me to say don't show me ads but i want to give you like five dollars a month right. it's very funny you say that yeah, yeah. <laughs> can actually... i give you five dollars a month right now to... we, we do very we, uh, it's not as efficient as you're saying but uh through a little site called paypal.com that probably yeah. does run https we have a bunch of listeners who um and we have, we have, I, we should have got this loaded up because we're doing a different episode where we don't have the stories in front of us. We also don't have all the donations immediately. Do you have? I'll have in? it. I'll have it in five seconds. So uh, we do. If you uh, if you want to support our show, which many of you do, and we're very very grateful to all of you, you can go to probablyscience.com and click the donate button, and you can give us money to help us going. Some people have one off donations. Some people give recurring donations. Yeah, Who do we have to thank Andy. Since the last episode, we have. Uh, Recurring payments that came in from Paul Freeland, Caroline Laco, Alexandra Pitzing, nice. Lindsay Iserman, Michael Cravey, Emma Wilton, and Murphy Shane. I believe that's all of them. And if not, we'll get you we'll mention you on next week's episode. Yeah, so thank, thank you for you. those donations. Thank you, all of them. That's and the awesome. other way Yeah, and the other way you can help us if you are shopping on Amazon is to use our Amazon link. Oh yeah, Christmas Black Friday. Coming up. Or shit, it's already gonna be done when No, oh, Cyber Monday. This will be out before Cyber Monday, which is when all the online deals happen. Will it be out before Cyber Monday? Monday? I'll put it on I'll put it out on Sunday. Sure. Oh, yeah. cool. Wow. Yeah. Well, in that case, yeah, before Cyber Monday, if you're about to do your Cyber Monday shopping on Amazon, go through our link first. Um, Please. We we have a link for the Canadian, British, and American Amazon sites. There is not one for the other countries. But if you click on that link first and go to Amazon and then shop as normal, we get a little commission and it costs you no extra. And the other way you can help us if you're not shopping on Amazon and you're not able to donate is to spread the word and give us nice reviews and write cool things about us on iTunes and Stitcher and whatever other medium you use to listen to your podcast, tell people, tweet Facebook, because that really does help. I've, nice. We consistently hear people who've come across our show because friends of theirs or family members yeah. have recommended it. Um, and you've got some downtime with the holidays coming up. You know, you're going to have to like find some excuse to get away from the family for a few minutes. So you can tell people <laughs> like, this is a great escape and you can learn about uh, cyber encryption. Yeah. Remember, remember Christmas, like, you know, you know, at Christmas when the whole family gathers around the iPod, right? To listen to, <laughs> to, listen to their favorite podcasts. Why not put ours into the rotation? Someone probably does that. I bet there's some super nerdy family that does that. 
Oh, it'd be great. Oh, yeah. Put, puts, puts a laptop behind a screen like an old-timey radio, and then, yeah. If you're a family that listens to podcasts like that, and preferably if you're all wearing matching sweaters as well, <laughs> I want you to write in and remember to mark your envelope. Family time. <laughs> yes. Yeah, uh, I, I, yeah I, I'm trying to think what to what, what. There's so many things that I have no idea. Of. Okay, so you're, if you are a regular internet user such as Andy or me or most of our listeners, you're recommending using HTTPS everywhere and, and privacy badger. Yeah, privacy badger or any you know good ad blocker that actually blocks tracking. Is it worth in general as use pe- people like us using Tor, or is it more something that is for special occasions? <laughs> oh, like you know, Christmas and New Year's. Exactly. No, Christmas, um, New Year's, uh, trying to topple governments, that kind of thing. <laughs> Leaking documents. Um, I. I think, uh, so the, the thing about Tor is it's really slow. Well, not really slow, but pretty pretty much noticeably slower than normal browsing. So if, you, if you're doing something where you care about your privacy, definitely go through Tor. Mm-hmm. Um, if you, if you want to do good for the world by making it harder for the FBI to track down other people using Tor, um, use Tor because it masks other people who might be... Um, oh, because just the more general noise. Yeah, like the the more more traffic, it's like finding a needle in a haystack. So it's adding more hay to the if stack. If you use Tor, it's again only affecting web. Like there are things you could be doing that are connecting to the internet, but not via HTTP. That it wouldn't be doing that same IP masking to, or would it? So if uh, I'm logged well, in through Tor, for example, and send an email through my email client on my computer, that's not going to go through Tor. If well, so you can set up your. You can set up any program on your computer to do networking through Tor um, okay. using Torify, which is a program. But that's like m- usually too technical for most people. Yeah. But yeah, so if you're like using Dropbox, you know, and and like browsing the web through Tor, the Dropbox part isn't going to go through Tor. So say I'm a Burmese journalist mm-hmm. and attempting to send a message to a an American newspaper about something. I'm trying to leak something. Mm. How do I send that message? Probably the, um, so probably the most, the most, uh, I, I, sorry, I, I, I try not to say the word best in these situations, <laughs> but one thing you can do is to download this operating system called Tails, T-A-I-L-S. And you can just go to the internet, download that onto a USB stick and plug it into your computer and boot it. And then you'll have this like fresh environment that's using Tor. And the nice thing about that is you don't have like random crap like Dropbox in that operating system. So it's like perfectly clean mm-hmm. and anonymous um, and separate from your regular browsing. And then do you set up a, an email? Just, can you set up a Tor email account or can you still use Gmail or Yahoo Mail? Uh, you can use those things if, if you can prevent them from being linked to your real identity. So if, uh, like, I think Google or Yahoo Mail will require you to put in a phone number, which isn't good because you'll probably put in your real phone number. Right. Unless you have a burner phone, you know, <laughs> which you bought with cash while wearing, a, like, a face mask. Can we, can we see your burner phone, Jan? I don't have Come on, on me you've right got now. a burner phone. <laughs> yeah. You, you really have one, though? You don't have one? Uh, I, I may or may not have one. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, oh, my God. But, yeah, so... So you're right that like setting up an anonymous email account is not easy. One thing that um, we've made it easier to solve this particular problem where like a, a source is trying to talk to a journalist 
is there's a program called Secure Drop, which a lot of journalists are running. And so Secure Drop's just this website that news organizations like The New Yorker and The Washington Post have set up uh, where they can receive documents anonymously. So you go to a Secure Drop site, you upload your documents, you're like assigned a random code name, which you can use to log in in the future and see if they've replied to you. Um, and all that goes through Tor, and the journalist can get your documents and write a story, and hopefully your identity will never be revealed. Is that what Edward Snowden used? So SecureDrop was not very popular when Edward Snowden did his thing. So Snowden actually just went through regular email with journalists. I think he used a Hushmail.com account uh, to talk to Laura Poitras and Glenn Greenwald. But after Snowden did his thing, um, a lot more journalists became interested in SecureDrop. So people set up SecureDrop instances at like 20 news organizations. Okay. Yeah. And is hang on, was, I'm trying to remember the chronology. Was Chelsea Manning before or after Snowden? Uh, before, by about by a few years. Okay, I don't know Chelsea Manning. I don't think. Uh, Chelsea Manning was a whistleblower who leaked um, a lot of documents to WikiLeaks about the Afghan war. Oh, okay. Now I'm looking it up, and I recognize the face. Yeah. Yep. Um, what's your take on Edward Snowden? Uh, I think he did a really great thing um, for the world. Like People are more aware of mm -hmm. the extent of government overreach when it comes to surveillance. And more. we've already seen more websites that are eager to turn on encryption because they've learned through the Snowden leaks that all of HTTP plain text traffic is being siphoned into an NSA database somewhere. Well, so now I'm just remembering one of the things that the UK... So I think I, I could be wrong about this. I've got a horrible thing that the bill got passed, or at least they were attempt, they're very near to passing this bill uh, in the UK. Uh, the current Home Secretary, who is awful, uh, was is pushing this bill. And it, it feels like they just played a perfect poker hand where they, they've, they dialed back from what they were first asking for to something that's still much stronger than the currently exists. They went, oh, we want this. Oh, okay, we'll just do this. And now they're going, well, we won't... We're not going to store... Uh, we won't we won't have access to any of the specific pages you visited, only the domains, which yeah. is bullshit. That's like saying, OK, we know every single book that you've taken out of the library. We just don't know which specific chapters you've read. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, that's a great analogy. I never heard that one before. But yeah, so they, there's this interesting distinction the government makes between data and meta, or, but sorry, between content and metadata. So or metadata. Sorry, I pronounced that wrong. Um, but they see metadata as the names of the domain you're visiting and content as the actual like text that's in those domains and right. the actual emails you're sending. But yeah, like as you were saying, like metadata is as important as actual content from a privacy perspective. Uh, so yeah, they can see you've visited these anti-government websites <laughs> or even like these specific porn websites or like STD stichecked.org or yeah, whatever like that. Right, they can see that right. but domain they just, names are very revealing yeah they just don't know right they don't know which specific ones well, they'll you're have worried to, about they'll have to cross-reference it with the pictures they downloaded when you went through the uh, x-ray scanner at the airport that they have in their <laughs> oh, database yeah, right. like, then you can see their yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they know everything man yeah but it the, the story you just told of how um how silk road one got busted it does show how incredibly hard it is to live a completely trace-free life online 
Yeah, it's easier to mess up. Just just any... Again, when you're like, yeah, you need to go in... If you need to buy a burner phone not looking like you or somewhere where there's no security cameras and then you need yeah. to link just any single half connection and then they can link everything back to you. Yeah. And they being anyone from either government agency or any private individual with malicious intent. Yeah. <laughs> But I think people should be like at least somewhat assured by the fact that it takes real money and government resources to do all this linkage, right? If you're just going over like unencrypted HTTP, that's basically free for the government to spy on you. But if you're using encryption, that suddenly raises the cost of spying on you by a little bit. And if you're using Tor and like hiding your face and doing all these extra steps, then that just makes it like harder and harder to target you. And so ultimately, if like with HTTPS, it becomes impossible to spy on everyone all the time. If they're determined to spy on you, they'll probably be able to. But um. if you're using HTTP only, at, at what stage? So I get that somebody who's on your Wi-Fi router could see the information you're sending, but how far down the pipe is? I don't even know the right question to ask. Like, if the government did want to, mm-hmm. or if, if a non-government agent, if if somebody who's just a hacker, but not on my own Wi-Fi network, wanted to see what I'm doing uh-huh. that's not encrypted. How hard is it for that person to do that? Oh, that's a good question. Um, so obviously, well, so if you're NSA, it's you're slightly better than well, you're you're way better than the average hacker because you can be like tapping the the cables yeah. that go like through the internet backbone, and so any you know they don't have to be on your home router they can be upstream like sniffing traffic between your isp and another isp and all theoretically that. So they, they have to get like a warrant to do that but they could just be doing they don't it need a warrant to sniff traffic i think really i don't and so because or at least in practice that's that's not been the case so you're also telling me because they have access to this backbone they don't need to have a separate nsa agent in every cafe <laughs> no, no i mean i'm not saying they don't have a separate NSA agent in every cafe but that's not strictly necessary um, what, yeah, if there and, is, what if it's like those air marshals after 9-11 where there's just like a plainclothes <laughs> person who has to be in every Starbucks? Every, every internet cafe, yeah. every Starbucks has one. And yeah. you know which guy it is. Yeah, he still has like an earpiece in. Like <laughs> yeah, like totally... He has the Blackberry in the earpiece. Right, right. You know. But yeah, it doesn't require cooperation from your ISP. Like they can just go and do it without telling anyone. So they don't need to show a warrant. What do you think about um, ISPs like uh, partnering up with content owners to go after people like what file sharing and things like yeah i i don't have a particularly strong opinion on that yeah practice i guess it's probably shouldn't be talking isn't about it like in the it's terms illegal, of service so for your isp like when it probably you sign, is yeah yeah, yeah. so it's kind of no i mean this moral. entire podcast is basically leading up to us asking how we can watch game of thrones without <laughs> <getting> <laughs> is it sunday already oh. is When's the next one? I'm already eager. I'm, I feel like such a bad. You never did it. I'm you like a, I'm not a real nerd because I haven't gotten into it. But now it's just too far, too far gone. I can't start now. Yeah, you like, can. I haven't started forever. either, so we can be behind together. That that and um and uh, the Sopranos. Never watched an episode. I've of. only I only dipped in and out of the Sopranos, and yeah. it's great. It's it's really I'm good. Sh- I should have watched all of it. Every like episode the, of it that I saw, I loved. But I never at some point, we're all going to be infirm. 
you know, whether it's like old age or whether it's like you break, a, you know, you're stuck in a hospital for a week or two. That's the time to binge watch Deadwood, get all the Sopranos, do Game of Thrones. Like there'll be a time in my life when I'm... Be handy if at some point they just stop making TV. Right. You could so just yeah, catch up you, on all You would never be more behind. Yeah. 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 Just announce, you know, we're just going to have a moratorium on this. It's just, it's too much. It's too much, guys. Enough. We're like, yeah, we just surveyed the country and no one's seen everything yet. So we're just going to stop for a while. We're going to save our money, save our time and effort. And also, like, a, there's a government mandate that everyone also has that week off of work. Like, oh, it's just yeah, a yeah. national holiday. Everyone well, you need goes, a week off work. You've yeah. suddenly got work dumped on you. It's yeah, binge yeah. week. It's binge week. Yeah. yeah, we're turning off content and everyone's going to like a really dull version of the purge. Right? Yes. <laughs> it's like, you know, there are no rules this week. Except that everyone has to watch. This would make for the, the most boring high concept sci-fi movie ever. <laughs> As the government, the government has announced. Look, you just have to give it half a season, and you will get into it. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm telling you, third episode of Master of None, man, it gets better. <laughs> it gets good. Uh, so uh, we probably should wrap things up. But do you have any? So big picture wise, I think we've gotten use Tor, use um 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 uh, badge no. Privacy badger. Privacy badger. If you uh, feel like it, yeah. I mean, it all. I mean, all of this depends on what your threat right, model right, is. Right. But if you're just, you know, I don't think everyone. Probably not everyone should use Tor. Probably not everyone has to use Privacy Badger. But if you're concerned about like specific things such as advertisers tracking you, then you can yeah. use some of these tools. And there's and no HTTPS downside. HTTPS everywhere is. Oh, yeah, that's exactly. HTTPS everywhere, I think, is the most generally applicable tool. Like, there's. Like a, there seems not like much, no downside. Yeah, there's pretty much no downside to using it, so you should use it. Privacy Badger is more likely to break some websites accidentally. Okay. And Tor is just kind of slow. So, but it's if you're feeling, to use. you should still donate to them to support people who have to use it. But. Yeah, and if you want to, I guess also donate your time to using them to just to donate to browse for normal things while yeah. muddling the signal. Yeah, yeah. If you want to h- help other people be anonymous more effectively you should use tor um and the petition again is uh, uh save crypto.org and where where can our listeners find out more about you and your work in general uh my website domain is so long I, gosh i like remember when i told you it and you messed it up <laughs> so I, i'd say twitter is the gateway uh to most information that i post um my twitter username is at bcrypt b-c-r-y-p-t it's the name of a very good hashing function. <laughs> uh, one that you created? No, uh, I actually met the guy, David Mazieras, who created it. He wasn't mad at me or anything. I don't think he really tweets, so we're not really <laughs> competing in the same space here. But. So uh, you can follow Jan and find out more about her work at Bcrypt. Um, do it and and looking more into the work of the EFF because they seem to do, yeah, they, they have quite a wide remit. Yeah, definitely EFF.org is a good place to find out more information about um, how your digital rights are being trod, trod on. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, As always, you can follow us at, at Probably Science and also individually at Andy T. Wood, at Matt Kirshen, and at Jesse Case. Uh, you should also listen to Jesse versus Cancer. This week's was a very <laughs> funny one. I highly recommend it, and mm-hmm. it's just great and it's cool. Uh I don't think I have that many impressive gigs coming up, except, oh, I guess, can we announce... Oh, uh, we can. We can yes. announce Sketchfest, right? Mm-hmm. That's a... Uh, I was worried that I was jumping the gun on this one, but uh, San Francisco, where Jan lives, um, in mid-January, I think it's January... January 14th. 14th, is it? 
we're going to be doing Probably Science at Sketchfest, at San Francisco Sketchfest, as part of an event at the, what's the Science Museum? California the, Academy of Science. Oh, Cal- awesome. I know where that is. They're doing, this day of, they're doing this evening of events in there, and we're going to be one of the things there. So we're going to be doing Probably Science in a Science Museum. Uh, we don't have the guests confirmed for that yet, but there'll be, it'll be cool. Uh, Sketchfest is a great festival. There's lots of really good things going on. I will also be up there doing set list and prompter and probably some other shows. Uh, so check that out. And I'll be, I don't, I don't know yet which show. I'm going to be back in the UK over the holiday. So I'm going to do a couple of gigs there. I know I'm in Nottingham at some point, I think on the weekend of the 17th and 18th. And I'll probably okay. fit in some London gigs. Uh, and uh, and as always, questions, comments, clarifications. I was just going to actually give the full lineup for that night because it's a pretty impressive one. From 6 to 10 at the California Academy of Sciences on Thursday, January 14th, um, Comedy Nightlife is happening, and it includes Mystery Science Theater 3000 cast members Trace Bolio, Bolio, I forgot how you say that, Bolio, right? He's Crow or Tom Zerville, original, on Frank Conniff. They're going to riff short films. Um, oh, speaking of which, speaking by the way, yeah. congratulations to uh, Probably Science alumni... Hampton Yunt and Baron Vaughn, who are both going to be in the new Mystery Science. They are going to be. Uh, Hampton is the new Crow, and Baron is the new Tom Servo. And wow. Jonah Ray is going to be the new. Yeah, Jonah's still host. never done it. We've never managed to pin down a time. We've he's it's, we've always either one of us has been busy, but so Jonah amazing. will be on the show at some point. He's going to be the new host. It's so and cool. And they also have a Kickstarter that just it's I think at two and a half million dollars right now. It's, it's doing just... all right for itself, but it could still do more. I think they've hit the point where they're going to definitely make one episode. But if they get more money, they're going to make a couple of episodes if not a full season mm-hmm. so that's really if you're a mystery science fan and i'm gonna go out on a limb here and I say there's, there's probably a quite a big crossover between mystery science fans and our listenership yeah uh, so that same night you get to see trace and frank from the original cast um along with competitive erotic science fan science fan fiction with brian cook who's a past guest and guests including kevin allison of the state and dave hill and then um Paul and Storm are going to be performing, and of course, we're doing our podcast. So that's all yeah. worth checking out on the 14th of January up in San Francisco. So, yeah, go to that. Um, questions, comments, clarifications, as always, you can email us probablyscience at gmail.com or you can tweet us at probablyscience. Uh, you can also find links to stories that we cover and links to our guests at probablyscience.com. And that's also where you can find the donate button and the Amazon link. Uh, Jan, thank you so much for joining yeah, us on the you. show. Yeah, Thanks thank for telling you. us all the stuff. It's been a pleasure. And we'll be back next week. Happy Thanksgiving Cyber just Monday. happened. Cyber Monday. Yeah, by whatever Cyber. it is. Happy them. Happy weird American day. We'll see you next week. Hey fans, uh, no, we don't call them that. What? What? No. Hey listeners. <laughs> hey regular listeners to a show. Hey, hey listeners. <laughs> this is a, um, this is probably science addendum. So we're uh, this is about five or six hours after we recorded the first half, and we're still hanging out with Jan and some other friends. We've got some other friends around here, and just out of, I don't know how we missed this, but just in the middle of nowhere, uh, Jan lives in uh, San Francisco, and just happened to. Andy, you don't even know this because I, I was outside. The, I was outside in the backyard. I didn't hear yeah. this part of it. Do you want to take a guess at who had that thought is? It's someone in San Francisco. No, it's someone in okay. LA. Someone, someone in the LA okay. entertainment industry, but for some reason owns property in San Francisco. Someone who, so someone who has the money to own land someone, in the hottest part. Someone who's a filmmaker. Okay. And made a film. Actually, filmed some of it in that. In that. In in was it in your room? I don't think it was in my room, but it was like a in my San building. Francisco but it was a room. It was a room. Oh. 
I, okay. I, I, I mean, should I just guess like a super famous director? What, what's the? It was. Wait, uh, give me a hint. Like uh, it was a room. Oh no way! Oh, no fucking! Oh, no fucking! Oh, holy oh, shit! Oh, holy oh, shit! Oh, holy oh, shit! Oh, oh, is your landlord Tommy Wiseau? Yeah. Holy shit! Unfortunately, it is. And he oh, comes up in person to collect rent. Sometimes. Sometimes. So wait, do when we like do we know money. how he made his money? I've never asked him, but I mean, I pay his rent on time. You pay so, like, Tom? You write a check to Tommy Wiseau every month? Uh, yeah, we, we do something like that. Do you write in the memo, oh, hi, Tommy? Every month? <laughs> no, no, no. So, so what's funny is I, I live with some housemates, and until last week, I'd never actually seen the man in person. So I'm, like, walking down the stairs to get my mail, and this, like, really strange-looking man I've never seen before is walking up the stairs, and I'm, I'm like... Look at him, and I do a double take because I'm like, he's so weird looking. Like no one looks like that in real life. And and then it hits me that this is probably a Tommy Wiseau because he's got the same like facial structure and like the weird hair. And I just blurt out like, oh hi, Tommy. Without <laughs> <laughs> thinking about it. Um, did he say I did not hit her? I did not do it. I did not. <laughs> no, no, no. He's just like, here, I have another bill for you. <laughs> oh my god. And yeah. Should we tell any listeners that don't know? I, I, at this oh. point, if you don't know, you, you, you... Okay, wait, we have... I'm a, a listener who does not know who that is. <gasps> yeah, I know who that is. Oh. This is the director <laughs> of, of possibly the most famous outsider art awful movie that's become hugely successful because of how bad it is, called The Room. And it was self-funded. He raised... Like, I think he spent over a million dollars on this movie that is... Uh, the, it is... It's the standard. It is the the... It's the new go-to worst movie around. Yeah. Oh, it beat Showgirls. Oh, oh it beat oh, Showgirls. Showgirls. Yeah. Anyway, holy just shit. Had to add that. Holy that shit. First I, I have more to say off the record. Oh my god! <laughs> but, Amazing. Uh, sure. So off the record. Uh, quote and quote. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Go watch the room. Off the record.